Today's episode isn't going to be about bourbon. It is, however, going to be about something that is incredibly complimentary to bourbon. It's going to be about cigars. I'll talk about a couple of brands specifically, but the bulk of the focus will be around the cultural aspect of modernization in the cigar rolling industry. Like any pseudo-macho college-aged American, my relationship with the cigars was reserved for testosterone-fueled parties. They were pulled out when it was time to pretend to be high rollers. It always seemed a little ridiculous, but sometimes ridiculous can be fun. It wasn't until a few friends decided that New Orleans would be the destination of a spring break filled with hedonistic fun. The loose plan involved cramming more people into a hotel room than should be considered reasonable so we could save our hard-earned dollars for more important pursuits. By chance, our spring break happened to align with St. Patrick's Day, and little did we know, New Orleans is just waiting for an excuse to have a parade. We had just stepped out of our first bar on Bourbon Street when a parade happened to pass by. We were quickly initiated into the crowd and sucked into the street to participate in the parade. We weren't the type to say no to a good time, so we started handing out beads as we marched down the street. Most of the folks in the parade had participated in the rehearsal of the parade and knew its general route. So it was of little surprise when sometime later the parade made a left and we made a right. Whether it be chance or fate, that right-hand turn, departing from the parade route, dumped us out right in front of the cigar factory. We entered the shop and found two gentlemen calmly hand-rolling and pressing cigars. Their actions were automatic and almost thoughtless. They were quickly and efficiently handcrafting cigars while maintaining a full conversation about the crowd. It was some sort of an island of calm in a sea of chaotic, touristic distractions. We obviously gathered up a handful of their cigars for consumption later, but it struck me the artisanal nature of the product, the soothing calm of the room, the skill that was required for them to complete such a complicated task. Welcome to the Embellished Podcast we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better, how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truth, half-truth, and outright lies and decide if truthiness even matters. While the Ember of Passion was created for cigar consumption during that trip to New Orleans, the hobbyist portion of me didn't catch up until my means could meet my ask. Being in a rural part of Kentucky means limited access to something other than Swisher Sweets or Black and Milds. That leaves us to search out online retailers that can ship the product to our door. I found a retailer, I made an order, and I waited my two to four weeks for my delivery. The next product that I want to talk about wasn't even a product that I ordered. All my careful research on finding a quality product that matched my specific budget was blown out of the water by a freebie that the retailer had included in my shipment. A small note accompanied the cigars explaining how they ended up in my box. Cigar retailers often get to tour cigar factories that they purchase products from. It was on one such trip to the Dominican Republic that the retailer started to notice a trend amongst the rollers. In most factories, rollers are allowed to smoke the product that they are rolling at whatever quantity they'd like to for free. The touring retailer kept seeing the same behavior over and over again in the factories. Some of the factories would be considered premier brands, but the rollers were largely smoking these bumpy smaller cigars that were lacking in uniformity or style. What they lacked in their production quality, they made up for in their uniqueness. After seeing them around, the retailer pulls a roller to the side and asks exactly what it was that they were smoking. The reasoning was that if the rollers were willing to spend their money on a product, when they could have something that would be considered premium for free, there must be more to it. And that's how they came across the Nativos brand. 
Nativos at the time had developed a cult following within the Dominican Republic for being the cigar that rollers smoked. Their lack of uniformity came from the fact that they were hand-pressed, and their construction was wrapper and full-strength filler only. Because of the nature of the American consumer, it was necessary to build some excitement around the brand. And considering they were relatively cheap, the retailer decided to stick some of them in boxes for free to help let us know about them. Now whether this story is entirely true or not, I'll never really know. What I do know is that it is virtually impossible to find anything about these particular cigars, so the brand marketing didn't work at a broad level. But I can tell you it did work on one person. I sat down on my front porch and lit a cigar, relishing in my good fortune to be a part of a small group of people in the know. And that's the power that a story has. I can guarantee the product wasn't terrible. My memory of it is largely good. What is really telling is the fact that I couldn't tell you about any of the other products that I purchased in, that came in that box. I had carefully researched what would be some good entry-level cigars at a reasonable price based off of countless online recommendations. None of them are present in my memory as remarkable. The Nativos, however, will be there for some time. The next item slated for today's episode is really a story about stories, or rather how stories can not only impact us individually, but how the collective consumption of storytelling can lead to much loftier results. This story is not one about a brand, but is a story about humanity. In the mid-1800s, in Cuba, cigar rolling factories were experiencing an explosion in demand and production, a veritable industrial revolution of a handcrafted product. So much so that they were creating rolling floors with potentially hundreds of employees all sitting in the same room, batching out quality cigars. Because of a lack of mechanical assistance, there was an ability to carry on conversations. Cigar making and rolling is a skilled task that, once it's mastered, allows for the mind to wander while the hands are subconsciously driven to build a uniform product. How do you entertain the mind while not distracting from the task at hand? The cigar rollers and makers took matters into their own hands to solve this problem, and born out of this story is the story of the lector. Early on, lectors were a roller or maker who got up from their seat, rolling cigars to read newspapers, magazines, and other books to the rest of the factory workers. Because the nature of payment at the time was paid per part, the rest of the rollers would chip in money to cover any lost wages from taking their turn reading. One might even say this was literally an early form of crowdsourcing of entertainment. Cigar rollers were so enthralled with the readings, they policed themselves to maintain side conversations low enough that the lector could always be heard. When in my initial stages of research, one of the shocking things I found was that they were even able to find enough readers considering literacy in the mid-1800s in Cuba had to be below 40%. What I discovered, however, is that within the cigar rolling industry, they boasted a higher than national average literacy rate. As the lectors gained in favor, it actually became a position within the factory, one paid for by the laborers or labor unions, one with content that would be curated with care. As this money was coming out of the pocket from the rollers, the lector felt an obligation to enrich the rollers' lives. This public education form even led to a rise in school openings and a need for libraries in Cuba to extend their operational hours to accommodate the cigar workers. Lectors were essentially socially engineering knowledge acquisition. Many factories developed their favorite stories over time. Novels like The Count of Monte Cristo and The Three Musketeers became quick favorites that were read more than once. They were read so often that workers would be able to identify their favorite parts and its location within the overall story. The whole process was almost spiritual in nature. The relationship of the roller to the lector and the lector to the story, each responsible for caring for the other, Rollers revere the lector. The lector honors the worker with a reverence for the curation of the story. You might think that this development would be met with little resistance from the cigar companies. However, criticism of the practice was immediate and fierce. Maybe 
It's because of the backing by the labor unions or the laborers themselves, but immediately a sentiment developed that work is for work and lectors distract the rollers. Oration is disruptive. It hurt the overall product quality. It may seem ridiculous, but I'd suspect that the real reason for manufacturers taking the stance that the lector is just another device for control is the lectors became a mechanism for labor reform. An overall informed populace can be dangerous to colonial rule. As the lectors' educational levels increased, so did their desire to not be exploited with substandard working conditions and wages. The government fears organized labor disputes, so they enact a ban on lectors in Cuba. What began as a romantic sentiment of man's acquisition of knowledge migrated to a moral sentiment of fair and equitable labor practices. Many of the exiled lectors of Cuba found their way to American soils, and eventually found themselves reading in cigar factories in Florida. The profession hadn't made its way to the U.S., so initially their oration was done for free. The corporate culture of the United States pushes out the idea of the lector. Fearing a decrease in efficiencies and quotas, as well as a decline in artistry, another ban was instituted in the United States. Lecter's ideas were often viewed as left-wing, and chronologically, they happened to fall between the two red scares here in the United States. It was easy for manufacturers to ban the practice as a result of labor disputes. The death of the lector is one of the more unfortunate byproducts of efficiency-driven product creation. Often, the bean counters make decisions that impact the ability of a product to be more than just a product. While researching this episode, I had the good fortune to come across Reserve de la Guardia Cigars. I say good fortune because as I explored this particular brand, it checked off every box I had developed questions around for the overarching concept of this story. De la Guardia Cigars is based out of Omaha, Nebraska. You may know more about cigar making than me, but initially, I was surprised at the cigar company being located just outside the geographic center of the United States. But as I dug a little deeper on the brand, I thought, this is the cigar that epitomizes the story I'm trying to tell in this episode. Daniela De La Guardia, the co-founder of the brand, is a first-generation American. Her father was born in Cuba, and her paternal great-grandfather was a hand roller and elector for cigar rollers in Havana. Daniela, while working in a local cigar shop, spent a great deal of time self-educating about cigars. Smell, flavor, construction, history, all the things that one would want to know about the product to be able to effectively present suggestions to potential customers. Fate meets passion, and the family decides to open a cigar shop to capture some of the untapped market in Omaha. But they didn't stop there. The family hires a professional cigar roller to help them revive the familial practice of hand-rolling cigars. Daniela and her sister took the knowledge and not only created their own product line, but also filled a niche market in hand-rolling exhibitions for events in the Midwest region. It would appear on the surface that the De La Guardia family was interested in providing a great product with a wonderful story while carrying on a family legacy, sharing passion, and celebrating special moments. The common thread that seems to run between bourbon and cigars is one of craftsmanship, storytelling, and legacy. Acknowledging the legacy left behind by hand rollers is the least we can do. Lectors was such an integral part of cigar culture that even the brand Monte Cristo takes its name from the most popular of stories that were read. Local shops that offer demonstrations of how hand rolled cigars are even made speaks to the craftsmanship of the product and the ability to articulate what makes your product unique is pervasive in the story of cigars. Without these stories to add color to the marketplace, we are left with a bland tapestry of consumer goods and no idea how to parse out which one suits your particular tastes. Thanks for listening to the Embellish Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. Check out our website at embellishpod.com and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, 
Send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate, the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable. 